Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? So we'll pitch your stories head to head and find out which one lands. All three sham writers haven't read a lot, so your sham host will find a famous plot. From books and films and TV shows, they'll make a pitch, then off you go to write what you don't know. Sham Fiction, the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Andrew Neal. Welcome to another episode of Sham Fiction. As the British lady said, I am Andrew, and I'm speaking extra loud today because we can... (laughs) We can speak to our heart's content as loud as we want because we don't live in a terrible world where we can't. Thank as... goodness. Oh, gosh. Marcus, Marcus, it's okay. You can speak at normal volume. You don't have to speak as loud as I am speaking. But but, but we live in the, a beautiful world where we can speak at whatever volume we wish. I'm so glad. You're still speaking very quietly. I need you to respect my choices. Ah. <sighs> Man, after learning more about today's property, you're going to want to speak louder because (laughs) you're going to appreciate what you have in this life, which is the ability to speak at any volume you wish. Let's get into this. Andrew Neal, host, covering that again because I'm very excited to be here today and to pitch the property that I'm about to, that I'm about to pitch today. Uh... Let's 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 introduce our co-host. We've already our, our co-host. I've already said one of one's name, so I'm gonna say the other's name first. Again, uh, uh, Mr. Eric Carlson, welcome. Speak loudly. Hello. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Did that peak? Was that too much? It was a little much. Got to be careful. You got to respect the microphones. I think I did peak. I apologize, listeners. Oh man, more work for me in post. That's okay. That's okay. You spoke loud, and you you got to speak loud while you can. It's just it's we gotta we gotta appreciate the good things, so thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You happy to be here? I am ecstatic. It's good. It's good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Moving on, Marcus. You're still here, right? I'm still here. I'm just. Oh god. I'm just pre spooked. Oh man, it's really spooky. You know what? I get it. It's pretty spooky. I don't know if either of you saw any of the trailers for this movie that I'm about to talk about here, but they were pretty spooky. I did I actually wanted to see this? I'm not a big horror guy, but uh, this one looked pretty exciting. What are we talking about? Hey, we are talking about the 2018 blockbuster film, A Quiet Place. Ooh. Huh. A Quiet Place. Not The Quiet Place. It's just a general quiet place. Just any, just anyone. You just find one. Where, wherever you can that's find this one. movie. Yeah. Yep, that's what this movie is. It's just one you can find. All right. <laughs> just nondescript, yep. generic, quiet, quiet place. place. Yep. Oh. It's just a quiet place. It's it's a silent, low-volume, general location. Just The low-volume hole. Just like that classic uh, television show, A Twilight Program. 
<laughs> just, just uh, yeah. It's funny that you Twilight bring that area. up because this 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 show this movie kind of is like an extended Twilight Zone episode. It really no, is. It's funny enough if it's just a Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. of the many, of many of the Twilight, Twilight twi- Zones the, of the many Twilight Zones. Here, here is one. Just one. There are yeah. dime a dozen. You got it. You got it. So this uh, this film that we're going to be talking about today is directed by none other than America's sweetheart, John Krasinski. You know him. You love him. He He's, like, looked into your eyes many a time, like, right into that camera, connected with you. You felt soul to soul with him. He's just... Oh God! What a what a sweetie. Do you guys get it? Do you guys feel it? I'm about feeling the it. Krasins? I I guess. I don't know. He's uh he's Jack Reacher now, or not Jack Reacher? He's the other one. He's uh Jack John Ro- John Jack Ryan John Ryan John Jack Ryan? Ryan Jack Ryan. Oh God! Oh boy! Hunt for Red October. Yeah. He's, he's the Alec hunt for Baldwin. Red October. He is Harrison Ford. He is Chris Pine. You got it. So confused. Wait a second, Chris Pine played that part? Yeah, Jack Ryan. And uh, the Shadow Recruit, I think it was. Shadow Recruit? It was the most recent one. Not, Man, not I don't right. recall this. But of <laughs> course, his fault. John Krasinski, what I'm referring to is that he played Jim on the American office. The American, the office. Uh, specific office. Thank you. Use of the, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so he directed this movie. It's uh, his third feature film, and kind of a departure from his previous two films, which were more, uh, you know, just kind of indie movies. This movie was a major success, like a huge hit. They made it for, I looked this up, they made this movie for $17 million, and it is oh, made. Oh, chump change. It is a made. lot on sound. What's that? I said they saved a lot on sound. <laughs> they didn't did. have anyone around. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Not a big budget in the in the sound department, um, but this movie has made three hundred and twenty eight million dollars worldwide on a seventeen million dollar budget. Not Man, bad. they're making that money. Thanks, 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 John Krasinski for making that studio some money. That's poor, starving studio. Yeah, poor, poor studio executives. Uh, this movie was written by Brian Woods, ampersand Scott Beck, word and John Krasinski. Very important. They went through a lot of arbitration to get that right, I'm sure. Um, so just so you're so you're aware, that's how writing broke up. And then the story credit is also given to Woods and Beck. So from my reading, I learned that Woods and Beck wrote the initial drafts of the screenplay, and then when Krasinski took the script, he rewrote it and got another credit. So that's how it worked out. Much like a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy situation. You had someone yeah. come up with the concept, and then the director completely rewrites it. Yes, exactly. And I was looking around on the internet today, and I found that it's really easy to find an early draft of this script from when Woods and Beck, their version of the, the script, which I read like the first couple of pages, and it's wildly different than <laughs> what Krasinski did. All screen directions. So. Um, but no still, dialogue. credit where credit is due. It's a really cool idea. And I enjoyed the heck out of it. The film stars Mr. Krasinski with true life wife, Emily Blunt, and also actors Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe. It's a heck of a cast. They all do stunning work. 
and I can't wait for y'all to write this so that you can inevitably watch it, because it is a joy. Such a great movie. I am dying to know what this is about. I have not seen the trailers. I just hear that it is quiet. Oh, quiet indeed. Very quiet. But you know what's not going to be quiet? This pitch, because I'm going to say it out loud for all to hear. Let's get... Some time on the clock, unless you guys want to talk about anything else before we get into nope, it. No, we're doing things? it. You sure? We can talk to our heart's content. Pitch session. Eight <laughs> minutes on the clock. Three, two, one, let's jam. Well, I guess that answered that question. So, let's get into this. Uh, a Quiet Place takes place somewhere in the United States. Not sure, somewhere. Uh, and then the story follows the Abbott family, which is made up of five people... Lee, the husband, played by John Krasinski, Evelyn, the wife, played by Emily Blunt, Reagan, their preteen daughter, she's like 12, 13, Marcus, Marcus, that's right, yeah, we got a Marcus in this movie, Mark, gotcha, doesn't, nope, doesn't go by that, (laughs) Uh, he's like 10-ish, I would guess, and then they have their youngest son, Bo, who's like five, or something like that, story begins just three months After a worldwide catastrophe, we find the family scavenging through, like, a small grocery store looking for food and medicine. The place doesn't appear ransacked. It's just empty. And it's funny, no one's wearing shoes. They're all barefoot, tip-tapping, you know, quietly tiptoeing through the market, grabbing some food off the shelves, and they're communicating weird in sign language not saying anything out loud. When Marcus, the middle son, knocks something off a shelf, Reagan like dives and catches it very silently and everybody's very tense and they're like sighing in relief. It's all good, everything's quiet. Then Bo, the youngest son, picks up a space shuttle toy, but Lee, the husband, immediately takes that away, very scared, like, no, you can't have that, and takes it away and says, no, 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 doesn't say it, he says it in sign language, no, no. And Reagan, the daughter, sees this, takes the batteries out of the toy, and gives it to him. It's like, here, here, it's no big deal, take it. But parents didn't see it. Parents didn't see her do that. But when she doesn't, she's not looking, little Bo takes the batteries. Oop, oop. What does that mean? Anyway, (laughs) the family, they walk out of the market. They've gathered their supplies. They're walking down the main street. It's a small town. But once again... It's not in ruins. Nothing is, like, out of place. It's just empty. It's quiet. Nothing's there. And the family, strangely, is walking on trails of sand, which are, like, clearly man-made, either by themselves or others, to avoid, like, stepping on anything. There's lots of, like, dry leaves and stuff around, but they're not on the path. The path is very clear. But while on the trail, little Bo falls back. He puts the batteries in the toy that he grabbed, turns it on... Starts making noise. Oh, I hate this kid already. Everyone's freezing. Everybody's scared. Lee, the husband, breaks for him, but it's too late. Something bursts out of the forest. Amazing speed. Can't even hardly see it. Bo, dead. Little boy, dead. Boom. Wow, the flash got dark this season. Oh, man, Barry Allen, he's a murderer. Nope. Not Barry Allen. Not the flash. Something else. What is it? I don't know. Reverse Flash. Oh. Oh. It's Avatar. 
Oh, oh just all these quick. speedsters. Evil speedsters. No. Well, actually, kind of. Just no. <laughs> anyway, flash forward one year. Our now family of four. <laughs> our <laughs> lives on a farm, living soundlessly as to avoid drawing the attention of these creatures. They've completely outfitted this farm to be a place to, to be muting the sound as much as possible. So they have more of those sand trails between the various buildings. They mostly live in the barn, which is where they sleep, and hide when needed. They have this uh, storage area beneath the barn that they've found. Four minutes remaining. We're halfway through. They have this storage area beneath the barn where is like their living quarters. Um, so they mostly kind of live down underground to be safe. Um, but there's padding and blankets covering most of the services. Um, and in the old farmhouse nearby that the, uh, on their farm, uh, they've like marked the spots on the wood floor where it's safe to step without making noise. Uh-huh. Um, so at this point, we're like now a little over a year after this whole catastrophe has happened. And the family seems to have kind of like normalized this way of life. But Bo's death is still very present in their lives. So Reagan, their oldest, uh, the daughter, she's really hard on herself. She still blames herself for Bo's death. And although she should, (laughs) Oh man. And although he wants to move on the husband, Lee, he still holds some resentment. He's still a little cold towards her. So their relationship Hmm. is strained, obviously. Um, but at night, we see Lee steal away to the farmhouse basement, which is off-limits to the children, where he works to fix cochlear implants for Reagan, because yes, indeed, dear listeners, Reagan is deaf, which is a huge disadvantage in this new world, where sound is so important, she wouldn't even know if she made sounds, so she makes she's extra careful because one misstep could mean disaster, so her parents are very protective of her. Um, But Reagan is very determined to hold her own in this new world. Still, rather than her, Lee takes Marcus with him whenever he goes out to scavenge for supplies or go to fish in the river, because they do that for food. Uh, Marcus seems the least comfortable with the situation and this new way of life. He's, two minutes remaining. Two minutes. He's all, he's on edge most of the time and which would much rather that Reagan would go out with Lee. And she would too. Reagan would rather be out doing stuff. She's really determined to hold her own. Meanwhile, Evelyn is eight months pregnant. Which, Whoa. Yes. Whew. Which keeps her close to home for now. Um, the family safety is her chief concern. So she's busy preparing for the place for the coming baby. I won't go into detail on what that is, but just think about that. What does it mean to bring a baby into this world? They're making those considerations and trying to prepare for it. So this movie is very silent. Long, long stretches of quiet. So anytime there is sound, however small, it is very obvious. And it's drawn attention. It was really fun to watch this in a theater full of people because Everybody had to be so quiet. Like, you could hear any time someone was, like, digging for their gosh. Yeah. One minute remaining. All the time. You could hear all of it. (laughs) Um, Which also made it funny when there was scary parts and you heard everybody go, ah! Um, (laughs) 
and it really stays true to this thing that it's doing. There's very little actual spoken dialogue, and there's the sign language. They're communicating entirely in sign language, but even that is really, it's all kind of mostly, it's mostly just nonverbal communication between them. Um, so they don't even do the sign language thing all that much. Do we get like subtitles for the sign language? Sometimes, yeah, when it's like, you, when you need it. Sure. Um, but it's extraordinarily sus- suspenseful because you never know when these goddamn things are going to be popping up or when like the smallest sound is going to actually cause them to come. Um, and that suspense is just sustained throughout the entire thing. Even when they're not around, there's an anxiety to everything. Uh, and the silent way of life is fully realized. So there's lots of clever touches. At one point, the kids are playing a board game, but time's up. Time is up. We don't get to know about the board game. I bet it wasn't Operation. <laughs> Ooh, I'd hope not. I'd hope not. Oh man, I was almost through. I had like one other thing that I wanted to tell you about, but otherwise, <laughs> that was Maybe pretty much it. You'll let me do the Q and A first, and I can ask you what you were going to say. Oh man, I like that confidence i'm gonna go with you mr carlson let's do it let's do this q a thing so this is the time of the show where each of my dear dear co-hosts gets two minutes individually to ask questions and whatever questions eric asks marcus cannot ask the same he is unable to get that information in order to keep their stuff separate so we have some different stories for you so, Marcus, if you would please recuse yourself, go away, be quiet, but please exit as loudly as you wish. Oh, thank goodness. Wow, he just ran. Yeah, that was some serious thumping going on there, which is good, because we can. We need to cherish these things. All right, let's get some time on the clock. Two-minute Q&A, begin. All right, Andrew. What were you going to say about the board game? Oh, they play with soft game pieces. So they have, like, little, like, craft-like thing. Like, like mm-hmm. they're playing Monopoly, and they're using, like, little soft, like, plush ball things as the pieces. So, nice. like, that's the thing I was about to say is, like, the movie is so full of these little clever ways that they're muting the sound. It's sure. just, there's so many little details like that. Any really, like, awkward, silently Evelyn sex scenes? <laughs> Gotta awkwardly make more children. No, unfortunately not. Oh, shucks. Well, I can imagine it. Yeah, you can. That's oh, fine. John Krasinski, Emily Blunt. I know. It's great. Uh, any indication about what the monsters are or where they came from? I'm not going to give you any of that information. Ugh, you have to come you, up with that yourself. You mean person. Does it? Does it that? Does the fact of where they came from, what they are, does that play into the story at all? Eh, no. Or does it just not matter? This is just the world. No, where they came from is the least, like, it's not covered at all. I mean, we see what they are and what they look like and how Mm -hmm. they operate, but I'm not going to tell you any of that. Okay, are there any people left in this world? Yes, there are other people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, What is, uh, so Lee and Evelyn, what are they trying to do? They're just trying to, like, live a, a peaceful life here? What's the goal? Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Like, at this point, it seems kind of that they've reached a, a kind of a weird status quo. Remaining. And they just okay. want to keep their family safe and they continue have to, living. They have to find their way to the mothership monster 
and kill the mothership monster so that all the other monsters will die. I mean, you can go that route, but that is not, I can tell you that is not where the movie goes. <laughs> is this movie called Independence Day? Oh, yep, there you go. You get Randy Quaid in a, in a ship and he flies into yes. the, the mothership and blows right up. Right up the bum, right up the bum of the mothership. Yep, Time's right up. Great. Clearly, I ran out of questions. Yeah. So thank you for your answers. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. This is fun. This is the sort of thing that I thought for a second maybe I should just say, uh, there's there's monsters and they hear every sound and then if they do they kill you and then just call it good. But you know it's one of those movies. So what? have fun with it. And please leave as loudly as possible so that Marcus hears you so that he can come back. All right, here I go. <laughs> Oh hey, yeah. Did you hear Mark or did you hear Eric leaving very loudly? Is that was that your cue? Yeah, I, I was trying to hone my inner whatever creepy crawly, and uh, your inner creepy crawly. I yep. was able to hear him coming past me. So. Yep, there you go. So thank you for rejoining me. I refrained from eating him though. I appreciate that because we. I want two stories, not just yours. It's not. It's not a way to win. It's not a way to win to eat the other co-host. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy. Uh, so, uh, let's, let's, you ready for, you ready to ask me some questions? I'm ready, yeah. All right, so let's get that time going. Two minute Q&A, begin. Do we meet anyone else? Uh, yes. Is it like a community? No. Okay. Uh, do we know anything about the incident that introduced these creatures? Very little. Is that like told to us as an audience at any point? Nah, not really. Okay, so that's not the story. Uh, how is the relationship between the husband and wife after the loss of their child? It's good. I think it's brought them together. Like they, they, they seem they they confer together. You can tell that they're good at communicating with one another. Do we know what the creatures look like? Yes, but I I told Eric I am not I'm not. Has anyone going killed to tell the creatures? Uh, unknown. They haven't they done haven't. anything. Do they ever try? No. Um, uh, Lee has like a bunch of like he's got like a, a bunch of like an idea board like trying to figure out how to to do something about it why a farm why not like a high rise or some place where they would have the advantage you can tell this is the place that they lived before this happened okay. like this is their home uh child not planned i'm assuming it seems like it was um bad plan yeah it it seems like they 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 did want to do it because they never seem to be... I mean, there's definitely, like, an uncertainty because, I mean, given the world they live in, but they don't feel... There's no, like... There's not, like, a regretfulness. 30 seconds remaining. It's just life now. Yeah. Do they have any plan other than to just keep living? Um, so Eric kind of asked this question. Um, I'll give it to you, though. Uh, so, no, it's like that. It's just they want to just continue living in this world. They just want to sustain themselves. Gotcha. Are there any librarian ninja assassins who I imagine would be the best survivors in this situation? Um, no. Unfortunately, no. Time's up. That would be perfect, though. Time's up. But that'd be that'd be perfect. Yep. Right. Wouldn't very, that be the very right quiet. <laughs> yeah, like all ninjas would would do very well in this world. Yeah. You're right. Yep. He had a librarian yep. on top of that. Yeah. Here in business. Yeah. There you go. Just they should. Why aren't they living in a library? Exactly. <laughs> it's very quiet in the library. Well, I'm very excited. Thanks. Uh, it was a good pitch. Very open. 
can't wait to go write it. I'm going to try to uh, keep the volume on my keys down as I'm clacking away. So. Yeah, when you're writing, you got like now we're being loud. I'm, I like being loud right yeah. now because I can. But when you're writing the story, when you're in this world, you got to live it. It's going to get gotta spooky. Quiet. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Got it. Got to do it. So, all right. Well, enjoy. Thank you. Enjoy this this one. This is this is such a such a fun movie, such a great, you know, simple concept executed really well. <laughs> so, I expect none the lesser from my two writers here. We'll see if they hold true to my highest of expectations after this commercial break when we listen to their stories. Join me for that, won't you? See you after the break. Alright gang, the monsters from A Quiet Place are just about to invade, but before they do, I am going to hazard to speak and share this brief message. You know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it. Apple Podcasts, whatever other applications have podcasts. You know the ones. You're listening on one. Uh, but if you do live and listen on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can also let us know what you think on social media platforms. You know the ones. Just search Sham Fiction. And then, if you really like us, kick us some money on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com. We really appreciate anything you kick our way. Hey-ho! Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The monsters are coming. I gotta go. We gotta, we gotta sh- be silent. Silent. Silent now. You wouldn't know, but the show has been going on for many seconds, but we have entered the quiet place. <laughs> Just dead air. Just oh, boy. dead air. That's guys, what we guys, call that. shh, shush. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. We have to whisper the whole oh, time. We're, we're, we're past the, the part of the show where, where we can be as loud as the hell we want. <laughs> the loud as the hell we want. We've entered the quiet place. The quiet place. This is going to be some, some great A. ASMR sham fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. That was real good. Can't wait to listen back to that. Uh, Yeah, so guys, just going to put it out there. Um, If both of you wrote pieces for this week, you both fail, and the show's (laughs) over, because the goal here was not to do anything. You had to be absolutely silent. So if you're not turning in blank pages to me right now, get out of here. Let's get it. Just get Oh, well, I guess we'll see you next time on another episode of Sham Fiction. Whew. You know what? I did write something. Can I... I would actually like to read this. Okay, fine. I, I would too. So I'd like to hear what Eric just wrote. Just full disclosure, you both failed. Okay. Completely That's failed fine. the assignment. Like, I was testing you with all of this. Um, <laughs> so, with that in mind, yes, we will, we will hear what you wrote. All right. <sighs> Thank you. Uh, so let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, 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 let's hear it. some stories. Um, let's start with, uh, Eric. Let's start with Eric. Woo. Let's start with Eric. Let's do it. All right. This is a, a silent spot <laughs> you, by you, Eric Carlson. You said it's it. a, it, it's a quiet place. It's a quiet oh, place you fooled me. by me, Eric Carlson. 
Reagan reached the end of the spool and grinned. Five hundred feet of speaker wire had seemed excessive when she'd stolen it from the farmhouse basement, but it turned out to be exactly the length she needed to get from her hiding spot across 21st Avenue, past Old North Hall, and out into the, the overgrown esplanade of Vanderbilt University. After reaching the end, she walked the spool back the last ten feet, carefully snipped the wire with her pocket knife, and silently tucked the remnant of wire and the empty spool back into her backpack. Then, with exaggerated tenderness, she slowly removed one of the thin cardboard packages from the side pocket of the bag, an aggressive feline face and the words, Black Cat, adorned the box, which she examined for a moment before deftly sliding the bundled string of firecrackers out and onto the grass. <laughs> In a few moments, she had stripped the end of the wire, exposing two copper leads, and tied them together around the joined fuse of the firecrackers. She did all of this completely silently, the same way she did everything. As far as Reagan could tell, she was completely alone. A look to her left, and then her right, revealed nothing but a long expanse of green, seeded grass stretching off in either direction. Each end of the quad bore some old brick campus buildings, neither of which had seen students in the last four years, and the avenue behind her was littered with the empty, dusty husks of automobiles whose grumbling engines and creaking brakes had been too loud to carry their former occupants to safety. Everything around her seemed calm, empty, and forgotten. But Reagan was wise enough to know that when you were this deep in the city, you were never alone. She followed the long speaker wire back the way she had come, careful to tread only on the grass that she had already flattened lest she rustle the brush too loudly. With her bare feet exposed, she was sensitive to any uneven ground that might cause her to trip, or any bare patch of gravel that might crunch under her weight and betray her whereabouts to the blind things that hunted her. When her toes felt some such obstacle, she reacted immediately, pulling her weight off that foot and finding an alternate path instinctively and gracefully. Reagan had done this every day for nearly a third of her life, after all, and just because she couldn't physically hear the snap of a twig didn't mean she was helpless to avoid it. This was a fact that her father never seemed to learn. That despite how broken his daughter might be, she could still take care of herself. She could still pull her own weight. She could still protect the people she loved. And she could still make it up to poor Beau. The image of her father from the day before glanced against her concentration. His eyes livid, mouth agape, the signs for not and grateful being aggressively shoved into her face before he stood and walked out. The hearing devices that he had spent the better part of two months gluing and soldering back together had been left with her when he exited, as if she might change her mind. Unfortunately, her father had always just assumed that the destruction of Reagan's cochlear implants, at least the parts that weren't installed inside her skull, had been an accident. Her feet fell silently against the hot black pavement of 21st Avenue, and she stole up to the opposite end of the 500-foot wire and her chosen hiding spot. There, tucked in against a low brick wall surrounding a parking lot, she had a perfect view of both f the field where she had rigged the black cats and the open glass doors of Vanderbilt Medical Center East. It was a building she and her parents had visited several times when she was small, 
back before the things spread into town. It was where the doctors had tried to, quote, fix her, with electrodes attached directly to her cochlear nerve. It was where they had put her in a foam-lined, soundproof room and fed her useless ears a series of calibration tones from impressive-looking speakers. The sensation reminded her of when she would place her hands on her father's guitar back when he could play, and feeling the different vibrations in her fingers. The tones she could feel through the cochlear implants were more unpleasant, though, like they'd attached the guitar strings directly to her, to her skull and strummed, vibrating her brain in an incessant buzz that gave her a headache. Setting her bag down gently on the cracked pavement, she eased the zippered front pocket open one cog at a time, reached one sun-freckled hand in, and pulled out a Coleman lantern battery wrapped in a soft blue rag. Peeling back a corner of the rag, she exposed the two coiled battery terminals, set the thing on the ground, and twisted one of the two exposed wire leads around the positive terminal. Reagan held her breath as she lowered the second wire lead into position a half inch from the negative terminal. With a brief glance up towards the heavens, she pressed the two metal surfaces together, shorting the circuit and, and slowly causing the bare wire to glow with heat. Reagan's gaze shot to the green field, and her breath held fast in her throat for a long, long moment. Then, after a few seconds, there was a small pop of light and puff of gray smoke, hardly visible in the daylight, followed by another, and then a dozen more in quick succession as each firecracker on the chain burst. She let out a breath. Was that it? She hadn't ever set off a firecracker, so didn't know how explosive they were supposed to be, but she had expected more than that. Had her ears ever developed properly, would she have even been able to hear those pathetic little snaps? If she hadn't refused to use the devices her father had fixed, would these lame cracks have registered as so much as a static blip on her cochlear nerve? But they definitely heard it. By the time the second black cat exploded, Reagan could see three of them in her peripheral vision. By the third, she could see five. By the time the entire chain of black cats had burst alight, there were more of them than Reagan could count, all streaming from their innumerable hiding places towards the source of the noise in the middle of the quad. They appeared from open campus windows, from beneath parked cars, from the canopies of trees, and, most importantly to Reagan, from the open front doors of the medical building. Their low, pale, hairy bodies and their long, scurrying limbs were nothing more than a series of gray-brown blurs to Reagan's eyes as they exploded towards the sound trap she had set for them blind to the presence of a small, twelve-year-old girl in their midst, desperate to take down any prey they could ensnare in their deadly pincers. The killing started, even before the final firecracker popped, as the largest ones stumbled upon and then tore into the smaller ones. In mere seconds, the green field was stained with white and yellow bile, and the victorious creatures began to drag their victims away, back into whatever hole they had come from. Reagan didn't have much time. She twisted the lantern battery free of the speaker wire, grabbed her backpack, and sprinted towards the doors, leaving the long length of wire behind and relying on the confusion in the field to cover the noises she knew she must be making as she ran. After twenty excruciatingly slow bounds, 
She had made it inside the building, immediately diving behind a familiar, overstuffed couch in the facility's waiting room, and attempting to catch her breath by pressing her face into the couch's soft fabric as an instinctual move to muscle, muffle the sound of her grasping breaths. All the while, she kept her eyes on the open glass doors, hoping that none of the monsters would return while she was there, praying that the firecrackers had successfully cleared the building of its infestation. Reagan began counting in her head. When she reached sixty, she decided that she was as safe as she was ever going to be in this place. After detaching herself from the couch, she tucked the lantern battery back into her bag and located the building's printed directory, sun-faded and hanging on the wall near the gleaming metal doors of the elevators. She skimmed through the writing and found what she was looking for. Hearing Laboratory. Floor 6. A smile appeared on her lips as she thought back to that soundproof room, thick wedges of anechoic foam protruding from the walls and ceiling like blue-gray stalactites, sucking up every sound wave like a sponge. Anybody who shut themselves in that room, locking the heavy, vault-like door behind them, would be rendered completely silent to the outside world. They could scream at the top of their lungs, and the creatures that haunted the campus and the city beyond would never know they were there. It was the only place in the world that Reagan knew, unequivocally knew, that a mother would be safe to give birth, and that a newborn baby would be safe to cry without calling down a horrific end to her entire family. Reagan had successfully gotten to this place on her own, through a city overrun by monsters, proving to herself that she didn't need to hear to survive in this place. Now all she had to do was confirm that the chamber remained intact and prove to her mother and father that it was their only hope of survival. As she found the stairwell and began climbing to the sixth floor, Reagan thought about Bo and the day that she'd failed him. She would never let that happen again. The end. Oh, whoa. All Ooh. right. Thank you, Eric, for sharing your story, your erroneously written story. <laughs> um, hi. Was that a hi? Did you, oh, that was a hi. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to story number two. Erroneously written story number two. Uh, Marcus, oh, would I, feel, you please... I feel like I need a minute. Do you? Do you need a minute? Uh, ooh, ooh. Here, here. Okay, right, yeah, I know. Eric, it was a big just, one. It, it hit you me got too. Me straight in my quiet um, I mean, place. I mean, I heard. I felt nothing because I'm impartial. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we can give you a minute. I can. I, Eric and I could sing the Lost in Space theme song. Oh, Lost I remember that. Space. Lost, Lost in Space. space. Right, Lost now now space. I'm feeling good. There you go. Just had to cheer you up a little bit. All right. Uh, speaking of music, I hope we have money to clear something for this next sham fiction oh uh, this is intriguing uh good luck with this uh (laughs) listeners buy us some coffee now a few million should do it (laughs) all right (laughs) i'm ready for a quiet place by marcus mann all you need is love (laughs) all you need is love 
The song had played at their wedding, or an approximation of it. Emily's brother was short on cash, and they loved him, so they'd hired his band for the ceremony, even if they didn't love their music. Lee would have given anything in the world to hear that terrible band one last time. He'd had that song stuck in his head for over a year and no way to get it out. No singing, no radio. He'd gone from a life filled with love and music to a life waiting for his coda. Love is all you need. When he was a child, Lee had learned that in billions of years, the Earth would die. It would slip out of orbit, or the sun would grow so large it would swallow it whole. He had never thought he would live past the end of the world, but he had. Twice. First when those things came and tore down everything in their path, reducing humanity to a handful of desperate survivors. And again, when they took his son. They had precautions in place now, but he still couldn't even risk a whisper. He would never hear Bo's name again. And the boy's laugh had been taken away before he was. They had tried in the wake of his death to survive and stay together as a family. It broke his heart to silence his daughter and son to prevent them from being children, but he couldn't take another loss. The basement of the old farmhouse scared him when it was his father's workshop. The old man wasn't cruel, but he wasn't kind, and the thought of interrupting him while he was working still terrified Lee. The only difference now was that his father was long gone, and there were much scarier things to worry about true fear, incomprehensible in a literal sense, a walking nightmare. Now it was Lee who spent his time in the workshop, locked away from his children. They knew they were never to disturb him. Even Emily stayed away. While he worked, he had gotten good at crying without sobs. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. The microphone for Reagan's cochlear implant had been damaged in the early days. There wasn't exactly a hospital he could visit to get a new one. He checked. He had found a manual, however, and he had the tools. He found a watchmaker's kit in a jewelry store on one far out of town expedition. The jewels had been stolen, of course. It amazed him how people still acted like the world would ever be normal again, like diamonds would one day have value. The truth was, he had figured out how to repair the device weeks ago. He had been taking it apart and putting it back together, as he thought about what they all would do next. Before this happened, a pride group at Reagan's school had nearly convinced them to have the implant removed. <laughs> Being deaf was part of who his girl was, and he loved her more than anything. Why should these things be able to take that choice away from her? He knew if he presented her with the repaired externals, she would never give herself that option again. The song ate away at him. Sometimes he would sway back and forth, moving to the beat that his ears could only imagine. With his eyes closed, he could almost see the band. Bo had died over a year ago, and Lee thought of it every day. His youngest son had just wanted to play to be a normal child for a few moments, to imagine an adventure among the stars. When Lee had seen this, his reaction had been anger. Reagan's had been smarter. She gave the boy the ship back, and at least when he went, he was happy. Lee had resented her for that ever since. She had granted Bo his last moment of happiness, and he would never forgive himself for that. There were a thousand ways they could die at any time. The creatures were too fast to fight, and could find them at the drop of a pin. 
Maybe their best hope was to be like Bo. What was the point of living if you couldn't do the things you needed, the things you loved? Lee had a whole whiteboard filled with ideas of ways that he could kill the things that hunted them. But he knew it was all a show. He wasn't a killer. And he wouldn't die trying to end the life of another being. They didn't even know what they were or why they were here. He took a deep breath in and out through the mouth. He had learned there was too much risk in breathing through his nose. If it was clogged at all, it could almost be a whistle. He finished fastening the last screw to the microphone casing and gently set down the screwdriver. He took the externals in his hand and stepped on the chalk marks up the wooden steps to get back to the main floor of the farmhouse. It was early and the family would still be in the barn. The sand was cool on his bare feet as he walked between the buildings. When he closed the door behind him, Reagan was there to greet him. He looked at her and smiled. I have a present for you, he signed. She hugged him. What is it? Get your mother and brother. Regan did as she was told, and the four of them gathered together. Lee pulled out the externals and showed them to his daughter. She almost cried when she saw them. Emily put her hand to her lips, and Marcus bounced in place with excitement. He knew he was looking forward to not being the only scavenging companion anymore. When Regan had reattached the casing, she signed, How will we know if it works? She was looking at him with so much love that he didn't even think. In a low whisper, the words rolled off his tongue. All you need is love. All you need is love. To his shock, no one leapt to stop him. His voice grew stronger as it was joined by Emily's and Marcus, the catharsis of the moment slicking their cheeks with tears. All you need is love, love, love is all you need. As they repeated the refrain, Reagan joined in sign. The song was one of the first things she had heard when she originally got the implant, though Lee and Emily had sung it to all their children as they grew up. They held each other, and as a family they sung, Love is all you need, over and over, and waited for what came next. The end. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Hurt me in my feely place. I gotta hug myself here. <laughs> uh-huh. We all, we should all hug. It's group a, hug, guys. Group hug. Group hug. Oh, oh, good job. Stretch oh. it out. Oh, it's good. This is a good group hug. <sighs> oh my goodness, you guys doing these things that make me feel things (laughs) what's up with that and you didn't even have to that wasn't even the assignment (laughs) Uh, I wanted to feel nothing (laughs) (laughs) oh wow well thank you both for despite all that stuff thank you Um, (laughs) I, 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 I am looking forward to talking about these um before I give my my judgment as to who who wins this week, I want to hear more about the process of sham writing for A Quiet Place. So, since you went first, Eric, would you mind telling us how it went for you? Yeah, uh, this took a few times for me, um, partially because... I got so wrapped up in this world. Like, okay. I mean, first of all, your pitch was great. 
it's just you are you are excellent at giving these pitches and giving us just enough information that we need to be able to let our imaginations go crazy that's good uh, these are points in your favor thank you yes, for buttering that, me that's up. why i'm complimenting you so i can win um <laughs> but like this this world is so interesting and rich and there are so many questions that come up when you start trying to think through what the plot might be because um, mm-hmm. I found myself trying to figure out where this movie's going to go, um, what the pl- the overall arc of the story might be, and it took me back to these questions about like what are these monsters, where did they come from, how do they work, you know, and and I ended up writing several pages. Uh, I want to say I wrote like like 4500 words worth of just like <laughs> world building notes wow going into this before i wrote anything any prose because i was so fascinated did it you help know? you did I that end it, up helping your story informing your story did it helped me get to the point where i knew what my story was going to be okay. but by the time i actually wrote the piece like hardly any of that material made it in there it's all just background for me mm-hmm. um but it was it was difficult to get past that world building stage like um it, which also included background like okay uh the family's you know background what did they do before um when in the children's lives did this uh disaster take place what was you know what was their deal before doing research on cochlear implants and all that you know that just yeah. took a lot of time and breaking away from that and actually starting writing that was that was difficult to do Okay. Interesting. Wow. That's that's a lot. Um, okay, we're going to dig into that more uh, yeah. when we get to talking here. So, Marcus, how about you? How did, how did this go for you? Oh, boy. Well, I'm really excited to talk more about Eric's story as well in that process because I had to fight against that instinct so hard. Uh, I remember in our... The, like, world-building instinct? Yeah, the world-building and just, like... I want to follow the characters who are trying to solve this, the people who are building the fortifications, who are figuring out the traps mm. and that kind of thing. And that was just not the uh, story that we were doing here. Um, and so that mm-hmm. that was something I had to keep reminding myself. It's like, that is not this story. I would love to write that story. I'd love to get into it. But that's not what we're doing. And Okay. I'd asked Andrew during the Q&A specifically, it's like, do we know why these things showed up? And he said, no. And I go, okay. So that that helped me realize that that's not what we're telling. Um, And then I was just trying to get in the headspace of like, it's an interesting challenge. You see this in a cinematic perspective, but you're not in these people's heads. And these people are really trapped in their own heads. Because even though they're signing and they're able to communicate, it's a very solitary experience. And even that we were told is kept to a minimum. So mm-hmm. what are their thoughts like? What do they miss? What keeps them going and living? And I, I felt like having a child would be the worst possible idea that you could have in this sure. scenario, right? Because there's zero chance that child gets to live unless you find some community. Uh, it takes a village, right? And so uh, I'd asked Andrew if uh, the child was intentional. They planned to have the kid. And he said that they did. And that Mm -hmm. made me think, well, they're not planning to live. You know, it's (laughs) like they're not, they don't have a plan that gets them through another 20 years. That is just not in their cards. 
So that inspired me to say, well, we're hitting close to the point of no return. And even though I didn't mention the pregnancy in this, it was like kind of now or never to make a big move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your thought process behind that. Um, yeah. So let's, 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 let's get past the, the formality so we can get to talking <laughs> about this more. Um, so of course you both lost. Curses. Uh, uh, yep. Um, want to give credit to the, uh, writers of a quiet place. It's, uh, Brian Woods, Ampersand, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski with a story by Woods and Beck, um, and directed by John Krasinski. So it's a great movie, and uh, I am so I was so excited to pitch it because I knew you guys would come up with some interesting uh, ideas based on this really you know rich premise. Um, high concept premises are so much fun because you can go yeah. in so many directions with them. Mm-hmm. Um, which you both did, um, but the the least of the losers this week. I mean, you both really lost because you wrote, wrote something uh, at all uh, and were very loud in your talking, talking, talking. Um, but tis the the burden of our aural medium to have to actually speak while we do it. Uh, I just it's grading me to do it right now. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to give The Least Loser this week to Mr. Carlson. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, oh, wait, man. hold on. I should I should sign this. Uh, uh, and done. It's just, just that. It's just yeah, this. I was going to say, you, yeah. like, you should have seen the noodly <laughs> was I Was I noodling my fingers too much as yeah, I was signing? That was way too noodly. Too, uh, too noodly. Thank you is the one thing in sign that I know how to do. <laughs> yep. The hand, hand to the chin. And then away from the chin. You got it. Yep. That's, That's it. it. Okay. That's all let it try, is. Let me take that back. Hold on. Yep. You're welcome. I don't know how to say you're welcome. That's the problem. I don't oh. know if it's the same thing in return. I don't know. I don't actually know that one. Is that it? Did you just do something? No, I, I just, I, I swiped my hand around my face. Yeah. Which I, is the sign for pretty. Oh, hey, thank you. Oh, hey, thank you. You guys thank calling you. me pretty. Um. All right. So, Yes. Congratulations, Eric. That is my decision. It has been given. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Marcus, in a show of respect, which I accept. Um, so, yes, so let's talk about these. Um, so both of these stories went in the exact right direction, which Marcus pointed Ooh, out in his explanation, um, in that you focused on the characters and the point of view of these characters in this world versus getting too uh, dug into the details. Um, That is key for this film. This film is about a family, it's about these people, and if you think about the world-building elements too much, you're not going to enjoy it. So, um, And I don't see that as a negative. I just think that's the story that they're telling, and that's how they do it, uh, and they hold to it. but I think what really tipped me with Eric is that I, I loved the um, I loved the perspective. I thought you created a really rich character uh, with Reagan in this. Um, and while doing that, you also painted an action that I found really interesting um, in that what she in what she was doing, really, detailed and where we were and I understood again very clear what was happening um, and then the 
detail at the end where you loop in why she's doing this just wrecked me. Like, just such an effective reveal at that moment that just sealed the deal. Uh, just really, really excellently done. Um, Thank you. Yes, I it just it was it was it was so good. And yeah, and Marcus, so with yours, um, yeah, like we're just we're in the middle of a simple action with Lee in the basement working on the implant, and your piece is just about. It's more about for him, just him sussing out this existence. You know, it's it's very internal. Um, it's more about his point of view and, and it was very strong, very strong point of view. Um, you really get a sense of this guy and who he is and, and, um, while you don't necessarily understand the motivations behind what he's doing until the end, um, you get a sense of where you get a sense when the decision is finally made at the end, when it's made clear what is happening you understand the motivations behind it because you've given such rich detail of his perspective leading up to it. Um, Thanks. So, well done, guys. Oh, just heartbreaking. Yeah, just, this was an intense just one. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Whew. Uh, yeah. Well done, Eric. I loved the hay out of your story. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed uh, yours as well. Thank you. It yours. Oh, just hurts. Yeah just the decision to let your to let your family die yeah that is intense yeah it's a it's a tough moment and they all just accept it it was a toy story three and and we don't see what happens after that it's just acceptance at the end like no matter what we do there's just no chance oh hurt me and you know you could interpret it as do they even know these things are still there right they appeared suddenly if yeah you've been they, they maybe quiet. haven't seen them in like a year yeah who knows yeah yeah that's that's an interesting choice to kind of to do it that way yeah because i got that vibe that from your piece it was that they didn't know which is which is a, a, a big departure from from the the movie itself where the creatures are very present sure um oh yeah you know what's interesting marcus is that you set this action uh in your story so close to the time frame that we get in uh andrew's pitch Mm -hmm. you basically set it during the pitch and yet it is a climax it is an emotional climax where the only conclusion could possibly be it's the end of the story you know, whatever all the details are in this movie, you've written the end. Yeah. <laughs> which for you takes place in what I imagine is very early in the actual movie. Yeah. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew. I, I don't quite understand what you're so, saying. So the, the uh, repairing of the cochlear implants and gifting them to uh, Reagan, uh, I imagine happens in the first half of the film. Yeah. Um, well, it doesn't really work like that. Um, uh, okay. No, it doesn't really work like that. He's working on them alone, and he doesn't even let her come down into his workshop. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, never mind. Uh, yeah, I sure. always saw that action as something that happened early in the movie. 
Um, so never mind. But still, I like that yours was a, a, a conclusion, a climax. Yeah, no, it was interesting that both of you jumped on that detail. Um, making About that the a implants? Big, yeah, yeah, making that a big part. Because it's it's not that it... It's a part, but it's 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 kind of a small part um, mm-hmm. of the overall piece. It's the one thing in the piece that you understand. It's it's the it's the you know the proof that you know that Lee really loves her because he can even though he and her have a very contentious relationship, he still goes down there and works on them. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of details that you got pretty close again, like just the general way that you both approach the stories was there um uh it's interesting the way that you both played with like how much sound was you know able to tempt the creatures like with marcus you i think you at one point even mentioned like if a pin drops it's a problem it could be a problem Mm -hmm. which in the movie it's not quite to that extent um i mean they have to be quiet but um there's a certain degree of noise that they can make um and the and then Eric with the the firecracker bit. I mean, they they use not the exact same thing in the movie, but they do use fireworks at one point. Cool, nice. So, uh, query, and I, I I'm interested to talk about the fireworks too. Uh, do they cover pooping in this movie? Because I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, as as you're surviving, you're probably going to yeah. be eating more questionable food. Yeah, those and, aren't going to be quiet. Yeah. You get like <laughs> a silencer. Loud, <laughs> loud poops. What do you uh, do? Y- there's no flushing, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm so sad to say that they don't. Grave That's... misstep. Hopefully, uh. A Quiet Place 2. A Quiet Place yeah, number we'll 2. Right? Oh. <laughs> there we go. Hey. Uh, John, I am not represented, but please feel free to reach out at John Krasinski at shamfiction.com. <laughs> Uh, doesn't again, exist. Um, but yes, do that anyway. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. No, unfortunately, they don't. Yep, there you go. That's uh, it's ripe for a sequel. I did actually think about like how do they pee? I didn't think about the the poop question. I thought like, oh, will they just pee directly onto cloth? You sure. know, like 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 with zero gap between. You just you yeah, squat yeah. on the cloth, you soak it, and then I guess you just you find another cloth. Makes <laughs> sense. Uh, the hand-me-down cloth aspect of it but but the pooping much much tougher much tougher to do silently yeah (laughs) i mean it's it's gonna happen yeah uh, you're gonna have some rough ones Mm -hmm. uh it's funny because i thought about fireworks too um because when i was thinking about ways that lee would decide to break the silence one of the things Mm -hmm. i thought about was fireworks um Another thing I oh, thought yeah. was just him screaming Bo's name. Bo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I decided to make it a bit more of a sweet moment. Yeah. Um, the the fireworks thing for me came from, uh, I was trying to figure out how this family protects themselves on this farm. Because if you're rooted in one place, you have to have measures in place to deal with the monsters should they come creeping around. Right. Yeah. And the most obvious thing I thought of was that they have either a siren or a, just a big-ass speaker out in the woods somewhere 
with uh, like attached to a button you know like you run like a couple like a thousand feet of speaker wire out to this thing so that if they come around you hit the button and a huge noise goes off like you know half a mile away mm-hmm. and all the the monsters are going to go to that and so I'm like, if that's what's set up in the in my version of this world, then Reagan's gonna take inspiration from that and rig up her own thing with the wire, you know, to create mm-hmm. a sound trap that just seemed like an obvious thing that would exist in this world. Yeah, and your thinking is 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 right on. There's there's something like that in the movie. Ooh, can you can you give it away? Is it a secret? Yeah, I'm not gonna. We'll just uh, watch it. Yeah, just, just watch, watch it. it. Yeah, I've been but so excited thinking, to see this. It's just, it's just, yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to confirm that you were thinking in the right direction. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The, um, the frustration I end up with this story is my frustration with all zombie stories, in that animals are we, we've taken care of animals, right? Like it's it's really easy to protect. Well, not super easy, but we can protect against rhinoceroses. You know, we can protect against uh, incorrect. We can <laughs> rhinocerum. Uh, dinosaurs we can protect against a lot of different animals that have a lot more force and ability so zombies are ridiculous because human bodies are useless uh at getting getting through for like, getting through metal we, we can't do that um, yeah. but with the quiet place i was thinking the same thing it's just like go to the damn zoo you know <laughs> you, you'll be fine you're fine yeah, yeah go These into the enclosure tired. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like so that always drives me crazy with these types of stories. Yeah, I mean, and that's something again. There's there's your uh, suspension of disbelief. Yeah. with these things. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't think I gave you all. I didn't give you like any details no. as to what they were like, right? Other than no, that, they all. hear that they hear real good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're they're pretty they're pretty physically imposing in the in the in the film but still not to the extent that they could like take down a tank yeah um yeah so let's get like a food truck good. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing can get into a food truck they, they, they might be able to get into a food truck like a freezer uh, food truck <laughs> okay not not a street food yeah. truck yeah there you go. windows windows and those <laughs> plywood doors anyway <laughs> armored um, van yeah so, yes. Um, Eric, where's Vanderbilt? Like, where is it at? Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. I uh, I picked Nashville. That's that's good. Um, I don't think we say where the film is set, but it's yeah, in a you, place I think like that. You just said somewhere in the in the U.S. Yeah, it's yeah. like foresty. It's something like that. Sure. So it, Nashville is a good. Tennessee would be a good one. Um, no, I was just curious with that. Um. Because yeah, that that is a very big departure from the the piece where they stay on the farm pretty much the whole time. Gotcha. Um, but it worked again. the The build up there was was really effective to where you ended up going with it, Marcus. The um, the yeah. So the the perspective of your character again very strong. Um, the the fatalism of the piece I definitely brushed up against, and that was a <laughs> big detractor. Uh, in that, um, yeah, it was it was tough for me to to quite to reconcile that decision making process in the end. Um, I don't know if it was personal taste. Probably a big part of it was personal taste. Um, but yeah, that decision in the end 
wasn't quite... I mean, I didn't expect it. Like, when that was where it went, I, I was definitely not expecting it. But in a, but it was definitely partially in a way that I I don't know if we... Man, because no, it was there. It's absolutely there ahead of time. Because he's, he's fatalist. I mean, it's he's talking about the end of things the whole time. Yeah, it's forecasted throughout. Yeah. Foreshadowed, yeah. if you will. Um. Yes. So... So it's just kind of a personal. So yeah, so like just didn't didn't dig the fatalism. Well, here, so here's the thing. I don't know if I understood the motivation behind him working on the cochlear implant at all. What was what was the intention there? I, may I jump in? Yeah, Please. Eric. What how did what did you take? That's I interpreted important. it as it was important for her for Reagan to be able to hear that song, to be able to participate in that moment. Because if it was just the family, just just they're sitting around the fire, sitting around the dinner table, and and he starts singing, and Evelyn starts singing, and Marcus starts singing, and Reagan's just like, what are you guys doing? It just kind of takes away, takes away from that moment, I would say, if she can't hear. Okay. Marcus, would you yep. be willing to talk about that? Yeah. Uh so the way I looked at it was he started on it as an impulse and then throughout this, this process has realized, you know, what, what is our life now? Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, similar to what Reagan's going through in Eric's piece of how are, are you taking away the choice by presenting this and you need this to survive, right? Like, are you taking away part of the identity? Um, mm-hmm. Which is an interesting thing in this space. Yeah, no, and I like that you hit on that too. Um, It was something that I discovered in my research that I didn't realize existed in that in the deaf community, there is actually a lot of vitriol towards cochlear implants than that technology at all. Yeah. Because it robs um, a deaf person of the deaf culture. Like the, the, there has been a huge decline in like the use of American sign language. Um, and part of it is because these cochlear implants are giving deaf people this, um, this ability to exist without it. Yeah. Um, Mm. and so this, it's the idea of destroying this culture and destroying a person's identity as a deaf person Mm. by giving them this technology. And it was, you know, I, obviously, I used it as a huge part of my piece, and I'm really happy to see that you hit on that as well, Marcus. Yeah, it was very important to me when we were talking about this subject. Cool. Yeah, and it was yeah something I didn't realize until research. And then once I read that, that suddenly uh, informed my story, and it became a huge part of what I was writing. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, and, and, you know, we've talked about uh, we had a deaf character on Baby Driver a while back, and uh, talking about mutism, I did some of that research during Shape of Water. Mm, sure. Um, so it's it's always interesting to learn about other communities and try to bring that inclusivity into the work. Yeah, yeah, and it just yeah it it changes the flavor of what you're writing too because you're you're using information that's outside of your own experience. Yeah. Which always it it takes things in interesting directions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. There's some detail that you 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 uh, found during your research phase that really paid off. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right, gents, 
any other words in regards to each other's stories before we sign off? <laughs> well, Marcus, uh, your story, um, there's, it's, it, it's so pure <laughs> in that it is just, it's this solitary perspective of this character who's going through the process of making the hardest decision imaginable. Mm-hmm. And it's not all laid out completely explicitly. A lot of it is implied, um, but we just we the way it's written is so careful and so intentional that we un- we understand, at least I understood uh, in hearing it, what where he was going, where his brain was leading him, and uh, it was just really excellently done. the The craft uh, required to write something like that is tremendous and you did uh very very well with it so great job i loved your story it gave me the the hurdy feels in the hurdy <laughs> places and i enjoyed it immensely thank you it was, it was a very sad piece um but i wanted to say it was even harder for me to read it because your story was so damn good eric uh, i think this yeah. is one of the best things that you've done on the show like it thank just it, it hit all of the boxes that I, I love about your writing and that I love about short fiction, uh, where there was that buildup, there was a the suspense, there was a real threat, there was just an awesome character that you had developed, and you give such good detail and just the, the senses, I feel like I'm there. Uh, and it was one of the times on the show where after hearing the other person's story, you're like, how am I going to follow that? <laughs> it's like... Oh. Well, thanks, buddy. I uh, so, appreciate that. So I enjoyed that's, it. That's a that's a hell of a compliment. Yeah, that's, enjoyed immensely. Thank you. Whew. Very good. An should emotional have had poops day. In yeah, should have had more poops, but other than that. Well, we'll collaborate on the uh, actual fan fiction after we watch it, where we go into the pooping process. Yeah, it'll be a pooping place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a quiet place. Of quiet poop. poop. <laughs> that's, the, that's the sequel. They just add to poop at the end. Yeah, to poop. To poop. The number two poop. Two poop. Yep. You got it. <laughs> All right, gang. Uh, thank you for those stories. Um, again, didn't ask for them. Um, <laughs> but thank you nonetheless. Um, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Sham Fiction. This has been your host and favorite host. <laughs> Andrew Neal uh, for another episode see you next time and in between stay quiet (laughs) that wasn't as good I was trying to think of a better the best sign up I was trying to think of a better one it just didn't work that's it for sham fiction shut up (laughs) (laughs) bye everybody love you Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. On our next episode, Andrew and Eric will be traveling back in time to the magical vistas of Dreamland as they give their takes on Matt Groening's new animated Netflix show, Disenchantment. 
Be sure to join us for stories jam-packed with funny feudalism, hilarious highnesses, and incorrigible elves. All this and more on the next Sham Fiction. This has been a Two Jackets production. 